Hey, you're back at the Scarred Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. There was a kid that came into the burn center. Um, he was about 12 years old, and he got burned from uh, playing with gas with his friends. And apparently they were taking gas from a bigger can and, and somehow putting it into a smaller thing and lighting it on fire. And and the, the, the gas either spilled or came out and started to uh, catch on fire, and one of the kids kicked it to get it away from him and in doing so the gas then sprayed all over this uh, 12 year old kid and burned him on his legs and torso and back and uh, he gave him third degree burns quite serious burns and they took him to the hospital of course and then he was transferred to the to the burn center and you know 12 year olds I remember being a 12 year old and it's a kind of a hard time you know you're transferring from being a kid to trying to be a young adult um you know sometimes expectations can weigh heavy on you and so it can be emotional a, a bit but he had not only this challenge of being 12 years old but to also these horrible burns now i've had i think i've said this before but i've I, i've never had a third degree burn and i've had maybe some second degree burns just a couple of maybe a centimeter just from a splash or some hot oil and they hurt like and you know amazing and maybe you've had the same kind of burn the yeah he has burns third degree burns all over his his body not i mean his legs and his his you know splash burns that are their splash burns are um their, their telltale sign is there's they look like a splash like they have there's like droplet burns droplet mark burns there's it's not like a uh a regular line of a burn it's like it's kind of wavy it's just looks like what you would imagine if water splashed somehow so his burns on his stomach and legs and everything are like that so so he's you know you you create a bond with the patients that you take care of because they're there for a while it's not like it's out i mean sometimes it is outpatient a patient comes in gets a dressing change and they go away but oftentimes if they're serious enough to come to the burn center they're going to be there for a while and so uh you know you you do tend to, to you know to create a relationship if they you know if they'll let you in um with these patients and this little guy was you know he's a good kid and he, but he he tended to be on the a little bit of the lethargic side and not you know nobody wants to be given pain uh at least not your average person and he was definitely in the uh the average person camp that wants to avoid it but you have to have these burn dressings have to be changed two to three times a day so it's not any fun and and then between dressing changes i think it's all they can do to kind of recover from the trauma of having those burns wiped down, you know, and washed off and redressed. So there was one day he, you know, it was kind of early on in his, his stay at the burn center. Uh, he was kind of sitting in his chair, a little lethargic. And, and you know, I, you, you, there's a fine line 
that you can walk between teasing, poking fun, and you know, and and it makes them laugh. But and then it's like I said, it's just maybe sometimes a slight jump to you've you know you've offended them and you made them feel bad. And I had to get him up to go to the you know go back to the the tubs, and he was super tired. And so I poked a little fun, and and uh, he he didn't like that. And this you know this time actually you know he, he really didn't like it and and you know sometimes that happens I, it you know i didn't you know mean to make him feel bad but uh it, anyway we got him up got, went take we took him back to the tubs got him cleaned off and everything but that stuck in my mind for a while that i misjudged how he would react to just having a little bit of fun and part of that could have been that i just was in a hurry to get um him back to the tub and part of it probably is because he was 12 and he's been burned and he's having a hell of a time with it you know what's going on in his life and i could have maybe been a little bit more uh, a little bit more sensitive to that but so another thing that kind of it sometimes happens in the burn center is that these these skin grafts can become infected with a, a bacteria or a bug called pseudomonas and after he had had his uh skin grafts put on his legs he uh he did contra contract this uh pseudomonas infection and the doctors are very aggressive when treating that and you know obviously they have to because if they if if the the bug you know gets seeded and and you know starts to thrive in that environment it can actually make the skin grafts will not they won't adhere they'll fall off or they'll um they'll rot away and then it can become even worse if it gets into their bloodstream um, and they can be, get a, a systemic infection and actually become uh, septic and they can pass away from that. And, you know, several weeks later uh, from this experience that I had with him, he was really struggling. And then one time I, uh, with his health and one time I came to work to get report and they had made us aware that he had died. And and one of the jobs at the burn center is that you have to, you know, get people, people that have passed away, you have to get them ready to be taken to the morgue. And, and part of that process is uh, they have to be detached from their IVs, any, any like breathing apparatuses, uh, catheters, whatever, all their burn dressings taken off and their bodies completely cleaned. And, you know, that's, that's not a fun job. Um, when someone's alive, it's for me, it's even a worse job. I don't like being around dead people. I never have. Um, it's something that I'm just extremely uncomfortable with. Uh, maybe it goes back to, you know, my father passed away when I was young, younger in my teenage years. Maybe it has something to do with that. I don't know, but I, I'm, I didn't, I don't, I never volunteered for that job, but I had this crisis of conscious conscience kind of hanging out in my head from this you know little playful thing that he didn't appreciate and so I volunteered to take care of him and I thought this is maybe my my way of kind of penitence for you know not being as sensitive as I could have been uh that one time so we you know when I went into the room and saw him laying there I felt a lot of sadness for this young life that had uh, been cut short and so I took that time to be very careful with him. Very, you know, we detached his IV, took out his catheters, um, 
I don't remember exactly all the, you know, all the things that he had, but we unwrapped his burn wounds, his burn dressings, his skin graft uh, dressings, and wiped his body down and cleaned off all the um, the ointments and things. And it was a, it was a, I don't know, I wouldn't say that it was a religious experience, but it was a very kind of humbling uh, experience that is not something that you have every day. And... I felt closer to him. I felt, uh, you know, or to his memory of him. And I felt like maybe, hopefully, if he could have, you know, been there at that moment, maybe he could uh, have forgiven me for being a little bit uh, jovial that one day. But it was something that, uh, it takes me back to a movie that I watched, uh, that I had seen a few years ago called Departures, about this Japanese man that uh, he... Is a, and he's a cellist, but he can't find a job being a cellist, so he has to become uh, a worker as an undertaker. And just the respect and uh, way that the, that this culture had taken care of people that had dis- been deceased was um, an amazing, uh, an amazing display of, I guess, no better way to put it than dis- than the respect of someone who can't do for themselves once you know obviously when they're dead they can not do anything so that they're completely dependent upon you to um, offer them that respect and that's how i felt taking care of this young guy's body getting him ready to to go to the morgue i had a lot of time to think some pretty deep thoughts and to try to appreciate what time i did spend with this with this young man and how precious those moments were in retrospect after I couldn't have any more of those. And so in application to my own personal life and the life with my family and my children and my sisters and my you know, extended family, it became, I, I, I didn't always think like this. For the majority of my life, I kind of had this feeling that there was going to be a next life. And if that's your a belief, uh, then that's fine. I think that that's whatever makes you, helps you get through the trials and struggles of, of this life. Um, you're welcome to it. For me personally, the realization that there may not be a next life, that perhaps this is the life that we have, and that it's a miraculous, wonderful, nearly impossible thing to have happened. And that we should respect it with ultimate care. And in fact, if I could stamp my time, my my interactions with other people, my loved ones, my good friends, I would stamp that handle with care. Because we don't know when that's going to be the last time. And and so often in families, you experience like uh, family get-togethers where there's a blow-up. You know, somebody gets mad, says something to somebody else, then... You know, the defensive response comes and then it kind of goes downhill. I would rather have those those get-togethers labeled in big letters, handle with care, and that we address those kinds of, the you know, whatever it is that somebody's, you know, got the bee in the bonnet for, that we address those in a timely manner, very, in an effective manner, that we we, we address those issues before they become like the dump truck dump load at uh, the family event. So, yeah, 
should handle with care because uh, <clears throat> I wouldn't want to plan my life around there being a next life. I would rather plan my life around this is it. Let's get the most of it. Let's do the very best that we can for each other. Um, and, and not to spread ourselves too thin in trying to do everything for everyone. I, I'm a true believer in prioritizing and saying, this is the people that I care about. These are the people that I'll do anything for. And then there's the next level down. Okay. I'll do things for you when I, when it's convenient for me, you know, if it's an emergency for you, I'll judge if I can do something for you. And then there's the third level, which is people I really don't know, acquaintances, I may never get back to you on the phone. I, I, you know, so that prioritization puts the people that you, that matter most in your life at the top. And I think having an, for me personally, having the belief that this life is of ultimate importance, my, my, my life here in reality on earth is of ultimate importance, makes me want to try harder, to be a better person, to be more connected to my family, to, to try to not have things unsaid and undone. And uh, it's, it, it, it works better for me now than it used to. I'm more apt to meet with people, go out to dinner, go on vacations, do things. Whereas before I was more caught up in the things that, you know, I was involved in. And, uh, you know, to each his own, right? Some other people will find that, that somehow this life storing up for a next life, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure all the ways that people think of that, but, uh, but if it makes a person a better person, more connected to their family, a better person in the community, who am I to say that what motivates them is wrong, regardless of what it is? Could be God, could be not God, you know? And I think we do a disservice when we shut off the possibilities of goodness in things that we're not familiar with. I want you to know how much I appreciate you stopping by and taking an opportunity to share these experiences with me. Part of my journey has been learning how to produce and create music, and uh, I'm going to play one for you if you want to stick around and listen to it. Hope that you enjoy it.